Father, we're so thankful and we're so grateful that you are our God and that we are your people. I ask this morning, right now, that you would minister to us and do so powerfully because, um, not because of us, but because of Jesus, who's done everything for us. In whose name we pray, amen. Well, this morning we're going to look at Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 4. And, uh, you know, when it come, comes to a moment like this and you wonder, man, like, what are you supposed to speak on? It's easier when you're here and you're going through stuff than it is to know, like, oh, great. Um, I'm, I'm going to preach and uh, what's the message? Well, you know... There's one thing I've learned, and I continue to learn, and I grow, and it's this, that uh, I am not a good man, but I serve a good God. And I think that it's, what what has been striking me, even in so much of this time that has passed, is that God just keeps getting better, and um, I keep getting worse, (laughs) and... uh, but he's proving to me more and more all the time that I can trust him. So, Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 4. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nation to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, or you could say like you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. I don't know about you. But the two hardest things for me to do is, one, wait on God when I have time. And there's danger coming, but it's not imminent. That's a tough spot to be. The other is to trust God when I have no time and the danger is imminent. I have sinned more in those two ways than I could count. I love to plan. I love to prepare. I love, if I've got time, I'm thinking of an exit strategy. And, plan, and so waiting for me is very difficult because, and if anybody's known me over the years, it's like, like I, it's like I am addicted to being in control and I just have to figure things out. And, and it's one of those things that it's, you know, it's really easy. It's really easy to stand up here and talk about waiting on the Lord. Preaching about it, it's kind of fun. It's another thing altogether to try to live it. Waiting on the Lord. Wow. That's a tough one. The other one that I really could talk a long time about is trusting the Lord. Just trust the Lord, right? Trust him. That's easy to do, isn't it? Well, it's certainly easy to preach about. But once again, all you have to do is turn up the heat, put you in a little dangerous situation, look like trouble's on the way, and, hey, what happened to your trust? Well, you know, um, yeah, I know I'm supposed to trust the Lord, but yeah. how do you trust the Lord at a time like this? And that, isn't it, 
It's so easy for us. It's so easy for us to talk it, to talk a big game about waiting on the Lord and trusting the Lord. But it's, it's a whole another thing altogether to actually do it. In our passage this morning, God wants to see something about him, about the, who he is. And the only way you're going to trust him, the only way you're going to wait on him is if God gets elevated, gets exalted, and he becomes the God that he truly is in your heart and in your mind. And because as your God gets bigger, your problems get smaller. And if your problems seem really big, I guarantee your God is really small. We want to see something about the way God works, because we've got to exalt him. We've got to praise him. We've got to know him. We've got to, we've got to get in our minds and our hearts, who is this God? Because the, the greater he is, the, the better chance you have of actually trusting him and waiting on him. And God wants us to see something about him so that we would do this. We would stop looking with our eyes to draw conclusions and start looking to him and draw conclusions. But that's very difficult. In our text, Isaiah is praying to God. He starts off in verse 1 through 3 about asking God to come down. Come down. And you could hear the illusion of the, uh, of the Exodus scene where God comes down upon the mountain and he wants it to shake and tremble and he wants the nations to tremble. They want, he wants them to see God, see his power, see his glory because, man, if they could only see his glory, if they could only see his power, you know what they would do? They would tremble. They would see. They would, they would go, wow, he truly is God. Just like he did in the wilderness. That's what he's asking for. And this is what we see through verses 1 through 3. And then verse 4, and this is where I want to focus our time this morning. I really just want to unpack this one verse here because I think this is the gem. This is the jewel right here. He says, From of old, no one has heard or perceived from the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who does what? Who acts for those who wait for him. Our God, another way to put it is that works. Our God works. Our God works for those who wait for him. No one has seen a God like ours. There is not a God like ours. There is no God, no being, no thing like him. He alone does what no other God would do. You know what that is? He works for us. God works for those. Wow, that's a strong statement. I love how Isaiah 46, a few chapters earlier, 1 through 5, puts this comparison between God and the other gods of the nations. And this is what it says in Isaiah 46, 1 through 5. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops low, and these are the gods of the nations at that time. They're idols. These idols, they're born by beasts of burden. So they got these beasts of burden, and they're the ones that are carrying these idols. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, everybody under, under these gods. They're unable to rescue the burden. These gods, like these, these burdened animals, he says these gods on top are unable to rescue these from the, bur- the burden. And they themselves, these gods, they go off into captivity, he says. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, You, listen to this, you whom I 
have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Show me a God like our God. He says, I carry you. I sustain you. I uphold you. Not the other way around. Where where is there a God like me, God says? From your very birth... I'm not asking you to carry me anywhere. I'm, in fact, I'm going to get it down and carry you. Our God, he doesn't want to be carried. He doesn't need to be carried. He wants to carry. He wants to carry you. Our God is awesome. Incredibly awesome. Acts chapter 17, verses 20 through and 20, 24 through 25 puts it like this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all to all mankind life and breath and everything. That is our God. No help wanted. Heard the story from John Piper. I thought it was wonderful. He says he, he, he used to, when he worked at, um, when he pastored Bethlehem Baptist, he would take this jog around his neighborhood. And one of the parts of his jog, he would go by this building. It was an old manufacturing building. And on the outside, uh, on the wall, was painted permanently, Help Wanted. And he says, every now and then you go by and there was this great big red sign that went across it diagonally and said, no, no help wanted. And he said, whenever he saw it, he says, that's it. That's the gospel. That's the God I serve. No help wanted. I'm not, you, you don't help me. He says, stop. I help you. I serve you. That's it. That is strange. Think of that. We serve a God who serves us. And, and just, it's just kind of mind-blowing, actually, when you think of this concept. But this is really, it's the fundamentals of the gospel. Our God is like any other, no other God. There's no one like him. Just look at all the other religions, all the other religions, of our, even of our current day. And all of them have beliefs about what you need to do for your God in order to have life after this. It's, it's so loaded about what you need to do. For him. Not our God. None of them have a God like us. None of them. Who humbles himself, becomes a man, and says this. I have not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. (laughs) There's a mind blower right there. Jesus says, no, 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 you, you do not serve me, I serve you. Don't wash my feet, I wash your feet. This, this is, 
this is more than our mind can bear because it's upside down. It's contrary. It's contrary to anyone who's in a glorious position, anyone who has power. You think of the kings of the ages. Do you know how humiliating it would be to go down and stoop to the lowest person in their kingdom and to wash their feet? To give their life for them? Man, we serve an awesome God. And we understand the God who delights to serve us, the God who, who basically gives his life for us. It's, it's, it really is transformative. If you look at a newborn, you see, it, you see something, I think, that's quite analogous to what God is like. They're constantly dependent upon, uh, dependent upon for everything, right? In life, everything, they, need, they require you to do it all for them. They cannot live on their own or they will die. Their parents, you parents who've been parents, you do everything for them. The only thing they do is what? They cry when they want something. That's it. That's it. And they're good at it. <laughs> but you, you, you want to know what's also amazing? Is that the parents actually delight to do this stuff, to like pamper these little babies. They adore them. Often it's like they enjoy the serving, the, the caring, the helping, the burping, the nursing, the cleaning, the bathing, and on and on it goes, right? Parents tend to, uh, of course, none of us like it to, um, to extend itself too long, like especially the crying and the whining. That, that's, that's just no good. But the actual caring for the child, you know, how many of you moms, you love nursing them? You love burping them. You love the whole thing. Guess what? You, you're, just, you're the servant. And you joyfully serve them and give everything. They're just completely dependent. I think, man, you've got now more beautiful of a picture than that to think of what God is like toward us. He loves to serve, to give, to uphold, to do everything. This is why Jesus said, hey, if you really got it and understood it in John 15... You can do nothing apart from me. We can't be holy. We can't obey. We can't be saved. We can't be helped. We can't do anything apart from him. And go on and try, as we do often in life. And how did that work out for you? This becomes our confession. Oh, Lord Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. And not only does this please God, he wouldn't have it any other way. Because our God is unlike any other God, and he does everything for us. It's in him that we live and move and even have our being. But this is a beautiful thing, because he gets all the praise, we get all the benefit. And I actually believe from the very beginning, you know, if we go back to creation, and if you look at the initial creation of Adam and Eve, God created man weak, and he designed us, to have our, and this is why, designed us to have our power and our strength in and through him. Man was created in perfect union and communion with God. And in that union and communion came his glory. In that union and communion came his power. And it, that's through, through God and in God is how he was to express dominion. And I don't believe that Adam was strong and mighty over all creation until the fall, and then he became weak. Like he was, I don't even need God before the fall, because I'm, just look at me. I've got it all together. I, I, I have everything I need. No. Adam was in union and communion with God, and I believe God intended it from the beginning 
for him to walk by faith and, and walk in this union with God and God working through him. But the moment he died, he died in his relationship to God. That moment he became weak. And he felt what it is to walk and to live in his own strength. And here's the funny part. God created a world where even these small little creatures can hurt us. It, it doesn't matter if it's spiders or scorpions or ants or hornets. All these little creatures, you know, you can take big growing men and watch them run and squeal like a little schoolgirl at the sight of sometimes a little creature that might hurt them. Forget little creatures, how about the animal kingdom? There probably isn't an animal that couldn't tear and rip us apart. So we're, we're, we're afraid on every side. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. Ah! Like, we have this tendency to be afraid because we know we're not dumb. We get it. We're not that strong in comparison. We, we hurt. We're sensitive, right? These sensitive little creatures. However, when God is with us, we are by him made strong and can take dominion of all things. This is why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or why David said what he did in Psalm 27. Listen to this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. For in the day of trouble, he, God, will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. And this is a refrain that you hear throughout the Psalms. That God, my God, the God I serve, my God is my strength, my God is my help, my God is my salvation, my God is my strong tower, my strength is in God, God gives me everything that I need. Yeah, look at me and I am weak, but you know what? My God is strong. In fact, so strong that he can speak a word and all the and planets come into existence. So, God, so, so amazing that he can speak a word and the, and the seas will part. That's the God we serve. And you know what? This God, he wants to work on our behalf. As verse 4 says, Since ancient times no one has heard, no, one, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God like you. Why? Because he works on behalf of those who wait for him. And so you notice here there's a contingency. Our God works. Our God works for us. That's what he does. But there's a contingency. He works for who? Those who wait for him. God places this contingency upon our working upon us to do one thing. Just do one thing. Wait on me. Trust me. That we have enough faith to wait on him. You know, in essence, this means that God's works for those who trust him, right? We could say that. Because, and we say this because when we believe and trust in God, one of the things this implies is that we're willing Willing to wait for him. If I believe in him and I trust in him, you'd have to do that. Otherwise, there's no way you're going to wait for him. 
In order to wait, you must truly believe he wants to work for you. You must truly believe that he's on your side. You must truly believe that he's for you. You have to believe that. It's, it's essential. There's no waiting unless you do. And throughout Isaiah, this waiting and trusting in God is constantly urged in different passages because Israel was always tempted to look to the other powerful nations for their help and support. Isaiah 31, 1 through 3 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. Then in verse 3, he says, The Egyptians, they're mere mortals and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, those who help, those who help, will stumble. Those who are helped will fall. All will perish together. We know that Israel's whole history is one of departing from God and then turning and trusting in the powers and the strength of the other nations around them. But God promises, God promises to work for who? For those who wait for him. And we aren't surprised to hear That God works for those who wait for him, or God works for those who trust in him. We shouldn't be, right? If we know the scriptures, what do we know? There's this resounding theme throughout scripture to trust the Lord. Trusting him is pivotal. And so this faith, this trusting him, this waiting, this is what God delights in. 2 Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself powerful towards him whose heart is fully his. Just think of that for a moment. Think, what is our God like? Our God, our God is eager. He's like, think of the scene. He's eagerly waiting. His eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. And what is he looking for? What is he looking for? He's looking for, is there someone? Is there someone whose heart is fully mine? And he wants to work, he says, work powerfully on their behalf. Powerfully. Faith and trust in God is such a big deal to him that if he finds it in anyone, he eagerly jumps to manifest his power. As Jesus said, all things are possible for who? To them who believe. All things. In fact, Jesus has said some amazing things about faith. One of the things he just said, he says in Matthew 21, verse 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. Pardon? Did you hear that? Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. You see, again, this contingency that faith, believing, and trusting in God. The opposite is also true because in Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So with it, it's the thing he delights in. Without it, it's like there's no way God is going to be pleased at all. And that is why those who doubt, they shrink back. And the unbelieving themselves, they often find themselves you're completely overpowered and you find yourself in trouble on every side because God, he says, God goes to work God goes to work for those who wait for him and part of the, what trips us up you know, and what makes faith in God almost impossible at times is the way God made the world and here's why things in the world are visible God is invisible. That is a bad combination right there. And that's a bad combination for you and me. 
because we grew up our whole lives being fed information. God himself, and here's the thing, God himself establishes all patterns, all the laws, all the principles that govern the world. So we, they've been, and these, these things have been presenting evidence to us for the time of our birth. And it makes it almost impossible to believe against them. For example, I have seen gravity working from the time I came out of the womb. What ha- if, I, if I had a ball and I dropped it, it would fall. Every single time. Every time, right? So that starts accumulating in my mind and my consciousness that, you know, gravity is a real thing. Would you bet against gravity? No. And then all of a sudden, God will come along and he'll ask us to believe in a situation and wait on him where, oh no, <laughs> I'm dead. This is, this is not good. Why? Well, my enemies are going to push me off a cliff. And when you get pushed off a cliff, there's only one thing that happens. You die. You hit the bottom, and you splat. It's over. Have you ever seen a time when that didn't happen? Right? And you've got to see that herein lies the biggest difficulty for our faith. You know, and here's other things. We've seen, and you have too, there's a multitude of things. From this time we're a child, we see that the battle goes to who? Strong. Have you noticed ever that the weak, you know, if someone walks out there and doesn't even know how to hold up the boxing gloves and, and, and Mike Tyson's in there, how's that going to fare for the kid? Every time we could bet 100 to 1 and we, you're going you're gonna to win the bet, right? So what are we getting? Just tons of evidence, tons of proof that no, there's principles and rules and laws in this world and you do not go against them or you're dead. So every pattern I see reinforces in my mind a conviction of how this world works. So when Jesus said that you could throw a mountain into the sea if you have the faith of a mustard seed, uh, you know what I believe? I believe that he knew there wasn't a human on the planet who would ever do it or could ever do it. He exaggerated to a point where like, Go ahead. It's just not going to happen. The Apostle Paul could not get mustard seed faith for that one. Because, yeah, okay, a rock you could throw into the sea. A big rock, maybe. But mountains, never. Nobody could, like, look at a mountain. I mean, it's so contradictory. And here's the problem. Here's the struggle we have, trusting and waiting on God. Because often he puts us in the situation where it's, it's not computing. And we can do... Uh, the math. We know how it works. And, and, and then he's asking us to believe in those moments, to wait on him. And therein lies the problem. You know, we are so addicted to trusting in the physical things we see with our eyes because of the daily evidence we receive. And then God comes along and promises us something that requires us not to believe these things, but to believe in the one who's over these things. That's why Israel freaked out. We heard, we, read the, we heard the story read for us this morning. So here you are, standing at the edge of a sea. And all of a sudden, come charging over the horizon is the biggest army in the world. 
the most powerful nations storming with their chariots and their swords and their armed men. You have a look. What are you to conclude? What do you... What is left? You, you tell me. What, is, what are the options? What normally happens? You've lived, at least these Israelites have lived a long time. They saw armies work. They saw how, who does the battle go, go to? The strong. Especially the ones who have all the swords and all the chariots and you have nothing. You know, you're standing there and the only thing you have in front of you, as the men there, the fighting men, your wife and children. What are you to conclude? Oh, great, Moses, you brought us here to die. Was there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here? Because God put them in the situation to demonstrate to them his power. And this is a perfect setup because it's going to blow your mind. Because, okay, you're having a hard time knowing how God could get you out of this. So, what does he do? He does what you're... No one, I guarantee you, no one there thought, oh, God will split the sea. We'll walk through, then he'll just close it up, swallow the Egyptians. There's not one person... Probably Moses was even like, what, like, what are we doing? This, uh, but Moses um, trusts the Lord, but he doesn't know. He doesn't, like, he doesn't know until God tells him. And here's the thing. The eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth for someone who, when they're standing on the edge of the sea, says, Now, worries, mites, God has this one. To which his mates say, No worries. Are you stupid? Don't you see what's. Don't, are you not looking? Yeah, we're. Yeah. This is the perfect storm. This is it. This is the perfect situation. This is great. Great. And, and you always look like an imbecile. Always. Because you're counting on God over the facts, the reality. And people are trying to always get you to see the data, the facts, the reality. But your mind, those who are fixated on the God, say, yeah, I get that. I truly, I, I agree with it. But I serve the God who's over that, who creates that, who makes that happen. That's who I serve. And God is looking for who's the one who's crazy enough to trust me. In reality, most of us, I'd say in a room this size, most of us don't have that kind of faith. You'd say, no, man, I wish, I wish it was like that. I, I don't have that kind of faith, so Dean, what, is there anything that I can do? I would sure love to have that kind of faith. What can we do? Well, I want to just take a couple minutes to, to talk to you about how you can cultivate that kind of faith. And I don't have the perfect answer for you, and I know we're all going to struggle with this. But all I can do, I want to, do, I want to give you, a, I want to leave you with a couple things that have been super helpful for me. There's a lot that can be said. You know, we go through the whole means of grace and show how powerful they are and how God works them and uses them to strengthen your faith. But I just want to say a couple things that are, I think they're helpful. And when they're helpful for me, they're helpful in the moment. They're helpful at the time when I need to be trusting God and I, I'm scared to. And the first thing is this. One of the first things you could do is memorize a key verse or verses. 
that are pivotal. And let me give the example of one that's just been so pivotal for me. Isaiah 41.10. And it says, Fear not, for I'm with you. And often I put my name in there. Fear not, Dean, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am the Lord your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now that's a power verse. And let me give you an example of how this has worked in my life. The most recent example was probably this morning when I was sitting back there. As soon as I feel anxiety come up in me, as soon as it comes to trusting the Lord in the midst of something I'm uncertain about, it's like I say it, I repeat it. Fear not, Dean, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am the Lord your God. I will strengthen you, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'll strengthen you, help you, and uphold you. And so, and I, I'm telling you, saying that, it's like, my, my, in the moment, my faith is like, it, I, can, I can feel it elevating. And the fear slips away. And I'll get, here's a, this is a great story. It's something that happened to me in Lodo Marcos a few months ago. I thought I would go adventuring off into the, over the mountains on the beach. There's a mountain that goes down into the water. I'd go over top, down the other side, and just check it out. There's another beach on the other side. I'd go over there and see what it was like. And so I'm venturing over there. I get down. I'm on this beautiful sandy spot. It's just gorgeous, and I'm just investigating. It's just kind of cool, checking everything out. And off in the distance there, I see this guy. I'm like, oh, no. And I see his little grass hut. And I get this sensation that I'm in his private property. I probably shouldn't be here. And um, then I see right behind him are these four medium to large sized dogs. <laughs> now I need to interrupt this commercial for um, a little context. I don't do well with dogs. Since I was young, I've been attacked several times. And I, it got so bad that it seemed like I just, it was a regular occurrence. Where, and if there were four of us guys, the dog would attack me. And it didn't seem to matter. I'd been on the ground being mauled by dogs until the owner pulls them off me. And so, as you can imagine, when I hear actually like a roof, roof, like a deeper tone bark, and I can't control it. My whole body goes, I get this surge of adrenaline, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm fear. I try to act cool, but I'm afraid. And I just have visions of being attacked and it not going well. And so this is the context, right? So I'm here by myself on this beach, and these four dogs are with them. And they go, and they lock onto me, and they see me, and I'm like, oh, no. And I look back, and I see them. I thought, if I could just sprint as fast as I can, and I could get up that mountain, and I could get above them on the rocks, I'd be okay. And I look back, and I'm going, and they, they start running towards me. I'm like, there's no way, and I'm just as you can imagine, filled with adrenaline, freaking out. I'm telling you, and all of a sudden, that verse came to me. Fear not, Dean, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm the Lord your God. I'm serious. And I felt like I was just like, I literally was like the fear just went away, and I was filled with the most incredible sense of like, I just stood there and said, bring it on. And I was just like this. 
I literally just faced these dogs. I'd like, and, I, and I didn't know what was going to happen, but I was ready. It was like this verse just saying it out loud, like, fear not, Dean, for I am with you. I was like, yeah, let's, let's bring these dogs on. <laughs> and this is, the reason why this is so important, you've got to understand that I'm a guy who would normally almost wet my pants and try to run in this, in this particular situation. And, and I was filled with just this sense of God is with me. And I, and I didn't care. And I remember the dog got about five feet from me. And I went, ah! And they just stopped dead, all of them. And they looked at me and I said, get out of here, come on. I was like, and I was so ready for them. And they just turned around and ran away, ran back. I was like, yeah! <laughs> That's great! I went back and was like, I like this. And, so, and I've done this before on other occasions. Another one was when I was, um, sometimes if I, get, if I have to preach in front of a large crowd... Uh, and I don't know them really well, I get, all of a sudden, I'll get anxiety. And I remember this one time where I was just constantly telling myself all the tricks, you know, breathe deep, take deep breaths, calm your heart, my heart's just pounding, I'm getting, my gut's turning. If you've ever had this anxiousness, and I'm, and I'm trying to distract my mind, I'm, I'm doing, you know, apart from the breathing, I'm just trying, all, and I felt like I was trying to think of one trick after another to try to, get myself rid of this anxiety. And all of a sudden, it came to me. Fear not, Dean, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am the Lord your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will hold you with my righteous right hand. And once again, I'm telling you, I just left, and I was like, bring it on. I'm ready. Let's do it. And, I, and I, I, like, I just had to, I was filled with confidence. And, now, and I say this to you because this is the reality but we forget the reality. Our God works for us. Our God wants to serve us. Our God, the eyes of our Lord are looking to and fro throughout the earth to see whose heart is fully his so that he might show himself powerful on their behalf. That's the God we serve. And so it's pivotal, it's critical that I get rid of any stupid idea in my head about my circumstances or situation. And the one thought that I have is that fear not, Dean, because God is with me. And this is the reality. It's the truth. God is with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He goes with me. He's with me. And I'm telling you, please, maybe that's your verse. Use it. <laughs> maybe you got other verses that, like, when I, I literally almost hear the voice of God when I quote that to myself at those times. And it, it's transformative. The other thing that's transformative for me is it's related, but it's different. I have kind of another thing I do. You know the times where it's hard to wait on God? Because you have time. You see the danger coming, but it might be a month or two away, and you're doing the math. It gives you lots of time to do the math. That's, that's where you're called to wait on God, and you're like, oh. you know, I don't, you don't know what to do, and you're, you're throwing up, you know, those bad prayers, just like, you know, God help me. That's it, all, all you know what to do. But you spend most of your time analyzing, trying to figure out a game plan, to figure out something in those moments I have a statement that I say that's really helpful to me, and I've been saying it a lot. I don't know how, and this is important. Say, God, I don't, I don't know how, but I know, I know God will provide. And, and saying that, I'm affirming the truth that God is my provider. God is with me. But it, and also in saying, I don't know how, what it is, it's, it's addressing the issue that I, I, I can't try to figure out how. Because one of the things I love to do is try to find out God's pattern. 
And I've seen this work several times. All of us have probably, but me especially, down in Mexico with these COVID cycles, we'd have like a swing, and next thing you know, I have vacation rentals down there, and they'd all be canceling. And then if you do the math, oh, no, I have to pay out X, and I don't have any coming in. So all the income coming in that would allow me to pay my bills, bye-bye, it's, it's not there. Now, now what do you do? <laughs> you start scrambling, trying to figure out, making plans, and, and going crazy. And then it's not, you keep doing the math, you keep doing the math, and it doesn't add up. But the most helpful thing for me, it's kind of my mantra. I don't know how, but God will provide it. And it calms me down. It allows me to say, I don't have to figure out all the details. That's for God to figure out. I just have to continue being faithful. And this just happened. This last August, we had another wave, another wave. We had a bunch of cancellations. Everything wasn't working out. I'm like, oh, here we go. And I'm tempted. The moment I'm tempted, it's like my cue, boom. Say, no, 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 no. I don't know how. Because literally, the moment you think you know how God will work, you'll be looking here and he'll hit you here. You'll be looking there, and he hits you here. It's like, you can't figure him out. Don't try to figure him out. Don't ever think for once. If you think you know how he will work to solve your problem, have fun with that. You're going to be surprised. He, he, is, he doesn't need the things we need. He does the impossible. He makes miracles work happen. So it's important. If we're going to walk by faith, we have to have things that help us in times of trouble. And this is essential, that we take truths of the scriptures. If you have a Bible passage or a verse or something to say, and say it. Say it out loud. And just affirm it and stand on it and just like embrace it. And the more we do that, the better we are. And the last thing I just want to quickly say is this, because I think we do a horrible job with this, all of us. I know I do. And we need to get better at it. Is we need to stop praying like we're wishing and start praying in faith. And they're two different things. You know, when you're wishing that God, like, because we pray like God is way up in heaven, and if we could somehow just get his attention, get him to do something, you know, oh, God, please, 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 God, please help me, please, please. And then we just stop praying, and we go on worrying. Oh, God, please, please. You should pray about that. I've been praying steady, we say. I just constantly say, God, oh, God, help. Ah, you know, God, please, please, oh, God, please, oh, God. And there's not a stitch of faith in that. Instead, it should be a prayer. When we pray, let's pray in faith, believing. It should sound more like this. We say, Father, I know you are with me because you promised. You know this trial I'm going through because you brought it into my life. I also know that you love me and that you work all things out for good for me. And I know this is going to work out for good. I trust you're going to do the best for me. Please, Lord, you know, and I'm trusting you. Amen. Is that not quite different? You are speaking and expressing faith, conviction. Do you know that, the, that faith is the assurance, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen, according to Hebrews 11.1? 1. I love that. Conviction, it's like, ugh. Yes, this, this is going to happen. Faith isn't a wishing. Oh, I hope so. I know God, I know God, I hate this too. I know God can. No, what, what, is, what are the eyes of the Lord looking for? Those who know God will, right? God, you are with me. Listen, let's just learn something. We could read the Psalms and learn how to pray with faith. 
Listen to David, how he prays. And I, Psalm 27, I, I read it earlier. Psalm 54. It's just a sample of what you find in the Psalms. He says, save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard for God. Surely, God, you are my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a few free will offering to you. I will praise your name, for it is good. You have delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. You see the faith in there? He's expressing his, he's expressing his fears at the very beginning. He's expressing his desires. And then you see this turn where he's like, no, like God, you were with me. And I know you've always triumphed for me. He, and declaring these things is important. So important. Or Psalm 55, he says, As for me, I will call to you, O God. The Lord, the Lord saves me. Every morning, even, uh, every evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. That's very important. I cry out in distress, and with conviction, he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle warred against me. Even though many oppose me, God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. I just love that. That teaches you how to pray with conviction. Because one thing's for certain, true. Never say this, oh God, be with me. Oh God, go before me. Oh God, please. Like, can I, can I awaken you in heaven? He's already said this. I'm with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. For I am the, I am the Lord your God, and I am with you. I uphold you. I, like, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're in, he's with you. He's with you we got to stop praying like he's some way off in heaven. And if we could just grab his attention and help him realize the danger. Now, I've said all that. We, are, we struggle with waiting on the Lord. We struggle with trusting him in imminent danger. But remember, our God... Our God works for those who wait on him. Our God works for you. Our God's excited to work for you. He loves, that's what he does. He loves to work for you. And you know what? The more impossible your situation, the more glory he gets. The more beautiful it is. God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what storm, no matter what hell, no matter what fire you walk into. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you know what? Whether they burned up or whether they didn't, you know what was true? The Lord was with them. With them in power. And sometimes that's a testimony. As those martyrs are dying at stake, I remember back, I've shared that story before, where they were scared and they said, when you're burning at the stake, raise your hand if the Lord is with you. And when the flames were engulfing them, they lifted their hands. Like, even though I'm, I'm melting, he's with me. And he's with me in power. So matter, no matter what happens, our God is with you. He will go with you. He's in it with you. And he's eager. He's eager to serve. He's eager to, he's eager to, eager to work if you will wait on him. May God grant us all incredible, abundant mercy and grace to trust in him and wait on him. Amen. Father, we're so thankful that you are our God. There's none like you.
You're awesome in everything you do. And apart from you, we can do nothing, but in you, we can do all things. Help our faith. May we trust you, may we wait on you, and may you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.